pray with me? Jesus, what a wonder you are. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence. Lord, we know that we have come to bless you, but you also have come to feed us with your word. Speak a word to our hearts, Lord, that your word may become a living word within us, and that your word being alive in us, we may go out and be your witnesses. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. I speak to you now in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, or should I say Boker Tov. It is good to be back from Jerusalem, the Holy Land, the place in which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ raised from the dead. It's been about 2,000 years, a little over 2,000 years since our Lord's birth, death, resurrection, and glorious ascension into heaven. It was a good opportunity for me uh, to be there in that holy city, to represent you all, to be there and to walk into places in which Jesus walked, to experience the, and to see the sights, to experience the church of the holy sepulcher, to see the manger in which Jesus was born, to see the shepherd's field, and, and to do all of the wonderful things, to be there uh, uh, and see, the, uh, see David's tomb, uh, to see uh, the church, uh, to walk the Villa Della Rosa, and ultimately, for me, the most important thing, uh, to be there where the Last Supper was given, where the institution of the Eucharist was given. It's a wonderful opportunity to see all those things. Uh, but being in the Holy City, I'll, I'll have to tell you, uh, was a little bit challenging. Uh, have you ever been in a place that you long to be in, but then you realize you probably shouldn't be there? Yeah, that was my kind of experience uh, coming into uh, the Holy City. Uh, going in and going out, it was wonderful to sing the songs of ascent and to ascend to the Mount of Olives. But, but as you went into the holy city, the holy city is lined with a bunch of shops. And, and when you go into the shops, I experienced that. I longed to be in the holy city, but I, I knew I probably shouldn't have entered the shops. Uh, and that's because uh, the Israeli folks there uh, are out to get you. They want all of your money. Not a piece, not a part of it. They want all of it. Uh, and luckily, our rector uh, squared me away and told me uh, that they were a bartering people. And so that I did not spend my entire paycheck trying to bring home souvenirs and different things like that, I was able to barter with them. They have something known as the New Israeli Shekel, uh, which is about 3.5 to 3.6, depending on the day, uh, to our dollar. And so they would tell you, initially, they would find out that you're an American, and they know two things about an American. Uh, one is that Americans are bad at math that we can't do math and we can't easily convert uh, dollars to shekels. Uh, and two, they assume that Americans have a lot of money. And so when I would walk into these shops and seek to buy things, uh, they would uh, tell me that it was 750 shekels. And as I bartered, as Joe taught me, uh, we went down and as I got threatened to leave the shop, I found out the real price, 100 shekels. They were trying to rob me blind. <laughs> they were trying to get the best out of me. Uh, and, and while uh, I think a lot of things that I experienced in Jerusalem are, are too uh, awesome, I think, for pictures and too awesome for words, I can just commend to you uh, and say to you that you should go and experience it. You should go and experience Megan tried to capture all of those moments, uh, and I think we've gotten something like 600 and some odd photos uh, to share with you all. We were going to do that today, uh, but I've been threatened uh, with bodily harm, uh, and I don't want to mention names, Martha and Sue Mouth, uh, but... Uh, they threatened me with bodily harm if I went ahead and shared with, them, shared with you all my experience without them being there. So we'll do that at another time. 
But while uh, being, in, being in Jerusalem, uh, we were really there not to sightsee, but to participate in what's known as the GAFCON movement. The GAFCON movement is the future Anglican conference in which, uh, I want to get the, the numbers right here, 316 bishops, uh, at least 17 primates, and a handful of retired primates, 669 uh, other clergy, and over a thou thousand laity from 50 countries, uh, representing three-fourths of the 85 million Anglicans gathered for one mission, to proclaim Christ faithfully to the world. Wasn't there, we weren't there to sightsee, and while we did all that stuff, it was wonderful. What we were really there to do was to proclaim Christ faithfully, to gather, to reaffirm our faith. And there were some statements that were made uh, that came out of the GAFCON movement. And uh, if you aren't familiar with that, uh, Father Joe put those statements out and summarized them. He did a really good job of summarizing those points. Uh, I, I invite you to go and look at his uh, article that he sent you uh, and, and kind of get familiar with the GAFCON movement and why it's so important to the future of Anglicanism. Uh, but I was really there to work. Megan and Dr. Nettie was there. They were there to, uh, to vote as delegates. Uh, but I, in order for me to go, I had to be willing to work. And work I did. I mean, I really worked. Uh, and, and one of the, the opportunities I had was to be in a room full of primates. Uh, one of those places, you know, as a young priest, you probably shouldn't be because there's an opportunity for you to get defrocked and get in the way. Um, it's better to, to be uh, in that room. I learned it was better to be seen and not heard. Um, but we were in this room uh, with these primates, and they were uh, talking about the, the statement that was about to be made. And that was all nice and good. But, but the thing that really impacted me was the collegiality they had, the love that they had for one another. Archbishop Oko, who was the chairman at the time, uh, said we cannot birth a province speaking of the ACNA and speaking of the church, uh, Anglican Church in Brazil and abandon them at the same time. So we will stick together. And if they're not invited to these global meetings, we won't go either. And then they shared stories about the things that they lost and, and, and the things that, how, how, how being faithful to the gospel had cost them so much and all the things that they had suffered. And then at the end of that meeting, primates gave other primates money Primates gave other primates stoles for future clergy. They brought, uh, they made promises of, of, of giving uh, the Church of Brazil or, or even the ACNA baptismal fonts and things to carry out the ministry that God has called them to. These countries, some of them uh, were, not, were not particularly rich. Uh, part, mostly, uh, GAFCON is made up of third world countries who are faithful. Uh, but it was uh, in really impactful to see them uh, being so generous. They gave all they had so that the gospel could go forth in America. And I had never seen, we, I, I, I see all the time that uh, Americans give to African countries, but to see it the other way around really, really impacted me. To see the generosity and the collegiality of our archbishops really, really impacted me. And that's what's going on in our gospel today. I know that was a long way around the barn, but I wanted to give you an accurate picture. That's what's going on in, uh, in our epistle today, excuse me. If you have... Uh, your bulletins, go ahead and look at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, the Corinthian church is perhaps known, it's legendary and perhaps known for a lot of different things. Most of the time when it's mentioned, it's mentioned and talked about it, it, the, the corruption and the infidelity of the church is, is mentioned. 
But that's not what Paul is, is focusing on here in, in, in this passage. Paul acknowledges uh, that the church of Corinth has many gifts. In fact, that they overflow with these gifts. He says that they over, he says in verse 7, as you excel at everything in faith, the church of Corinth was known for having miracles happen in the city. In speech, the church of Corinth was, was known for having people who, were a bit, who had the ability to speak in tongues or to prophesy. And they were known for their teaching and in their knowledge. The church of Corinth was known for their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were well taught, well catechized. Paul had done a good job and they had received the faith and they were obedient. He says, as you excel in those things, I also want you to excel in this grace. What grace is Paul talking about? In this passage, Paul is talking about money. He's talking about money. And I know that's a dangerous thing in the church today for preachers to talk about money because it has had so many different stereotypes. Because of the prosperity gospel and different things like that, people are often hesitant to give to the church because they are, they, they are not sure where the money is going. Paul has sent three of his friends with him that are trustworthy and says, hey, give this letter to the church and remind them that uh, the, they, uh, they are to give money. Earlier, uh, the church of Corinth had promised uh, that they were going to give money to help the church in Jerusalem. And up until this point, they hadn't made good on that promise. Paul is writing this letter reminding them, hey, you excel in all of these things. Also excel in your generosity. Give so that uh, the gospel can go forth. He says, uh, by giving, it would prove, it would prove uh, your love and your genuineness. Now, I want to be, be clear about this. The amount of money that the church of Corinth was, was slated to give had nothing to do with their... their uh, their ability to love God. However, the money that they give and the manner in which they gave that money did say something about their ability to love God. It was not about the amount of money, but the manner in which they gave. They were to give eagerly and freely, not begrudgingly, not with a closed fist, but out of love, not only for God, but for their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were to give freely. And Paul says, why? He says, why are you to give? Why? Because, uh, verse, uh, verse 9, if, you, if you're following me in the text. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that was through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I'll read that again, excuse me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He sets a Christological uh, uh, backdrop in, in behind their giving. Christ, who was rich, who was self-sufficient before time, who was in perfect community with the, with the Trinity, who needed nothing. Uh, God says in, in Job, he's talking to Job, he says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. They needed nothing. And out of this love and this mutuality that they had, they created man so that, they could so that man could experience that love as well and participate in this relationship. But when man needed God, what, it, what the scriptures say, that Jesus Christ came down and became man. He emptied himself, he humbled himself, and though he was rich, he became poor so that we 
might become the sons of God. Being the sons of God, he humbled himself that we might become the sons of God. And though we were spiritually bankrupt and poor, now because of the work of Christ on the cross, we are rich, full of righteousness, and heirs to the eternal promises of God. We were enemies of God, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are now sons and daughters of God. That's a marvelous transaction. That's a marvelous transaction. And that's the backdrop in which Paul is saying we ought to give, or that the Corinthian church ought to give. They were well off. They had means. He wanted them to give those means and to see that by giving, they are participating in the ministry of reconciliation. That by giving, they are furthering the gospel. So he calls them to finish doing the work that you said you were going to do. Fulfill your pledge. The letter says that I'm, it, it was to let Paul uh, was to let the Corinthian church know that they were indeed that Paul was indeed coming, and that when they when he was going to, when he showed up, they should be prepared to receive that they should be prepared to give an offering. He says, "I want you to complete your pledges, prepare yourself to give." And he goes on and he says, "I, I don't mean like giving today, where we're giving to the church today, where." It, it, it can be cliche and you're, and, and you're not really sure and, and I'm not, I, I don't want to give to the church because uh, of the stereotypes and all of those things. He's saying, I'm sending trustworthy men so that you can give for the furtherance of the gospel. And he says, I, I, he clarifies it. He says, I do not mean that others should, uh, others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So their abundance may supply your need. What is he saying? Give out of what you have. I'm not calling you to give. He's not calling the Corinthian church to give what they don't have. But he is calling them to give what they do have. We're to be good stewards of, of the resources and the things that God has given us. And he's saying if you have extra, if you have abundance, you ought to give it to your brother, to your sister, uh, just like those bishops did. So that they may have what they, they need. And so that no one is in lack. That Christ is proclaimed. I think about this church. I think about how gifted so many of you are. How generous you all are. I know uh, that it was someone's generosity that paid for my entire salary. And I don't know who you are, but if I find out who you are, I'll be at your house washing your dishes, ironing your clothes... Every day, I promise. Taking out your trash. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know where to go after church. <laughs> uh, not in a sense that I owe you something, but in a sense of, of, of generosity, in a sense of gratitude. Uh, that's the same attitude in which we ought to have, in which we ought to give. And so, like Paul, I call this church to fulfill your pledge. Many of you, God has already talked about, talked to you about the things that you are to give, whether it's time, it's talent. Uh, or resources, whatever. I'm not going to name those. That's between you and the Lord. But God has placed something on your heart. You have abundance. You have a gift in some area in which the church can benefit. And I'm simply going to call you like the Apostle Paul to fulfill your pledge, to fulfill that promise that you made to the Lord. And if you haven't made a promise to the Lord to give time, money, or resources, whatever, I would encourage you to do so. Not so that this church can... Can, can say that we are something and that we've arrived or anything like that, but so that we might impact the community around us. So that by giving, 
to the community around us, we might affirm the fact that they are indeed loved by God and reinforce the reality of God's love in their lives. Maybe it's by giving a coat and making the warmth of God's love a tangible thing. Don't want to go down a long laundry list of things. Pray about it. Many of you already know what God has called you to give. I'm calling you to, and I'm challenging you to fulfill that pledge, to make, your, make good on your vows to the Lord. To do that, as the Corinthian church has been challenged to do. So that, in doing that, the gospel may go forth. So that we may have all things in common. And so that no one may lack. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.